This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael, yeah. when you're walking in the streets, mm-hmm. do you call yourself a feminist? Do you use that as an identifier to other people about who Michael Milton is? Oh, do you know what? It's not one of my go-tos, but I would say that I am, but it's not like, yeah, I wouldn't... Like, that wouldn't be my starting point. I think a lot of people are hesitant to use the term. Yeah. Even though, like, it seems like a term to me that's, like, completely positive. And, of right. course, there's, like, partisan, you know, negative, you know, stereotypes that have been ascribed to it. But, like, it means you believe in, like, in equality. equality, gender equality. Right. But a lot of people are hesitant. I taught a gender and education class a few years ago. And, you know, one of the things I asked students at the beginning, and I would ask them a few questions. One was, could you tell me about your gender story? So, right, like how has gender had a role in your life? That's um, interesting. Tell me about your perceptions of feminism. And then I think the third question was about their understandings of, of women in, throughout history, right? It's yeah. kind of a way of thinking about how they understood all those and and very few the class was all women very diverse class and very few identified as feminists huh that's interesting but at the same time it's it seems like i can understand the i just feel like the 90s were a very difficult time in the word feminism for some reason became a dirty word and i don't know why mm-hmm. could it be the patriarchy <laughs> yeah most likely i i think it's a word that we just need it's one of those things we need to discuss more directly and honestly and you know the the thing i noticed in that class is the more we talked about what feminism is and, and perceptions of it and how it's enacted in the world you know the more i think people became comfortable with it as part of who they were and, and part of the work they do in the world so maybe we should talk about feminism more oh absolutely it's interesting because obviously i teach at a high school and I imagine that if, if you're talking about you're talking about college age women grappling with the concept, I imagine that high school uh, women also have a, a very similar. I imagine that there might also be some sort of negative stereotype against it. I don't know. Right. I, I think we need to bring someone on to talk a little bit more about this. And hopefully we I, do have someone lined up. Or yeah, else this would be a I weird we, podcast. It would. It would be if we ended right there just with, with us knowing nothing. <laughs> so let's bring into the podcast dr lauren collie welcome hey <laughs> hey how are you good how are you doing i'm doing well i i liked your little conversation there on feminism yeah it's it's a start it's a start we're <laughs> we know there's a lot more to talk about but before we get too far can you tell us a little bit about who you are and your your background in education good question Good question. Absolutely. So I am currently an assistant professor in social studies education at the University of Cincinnati. 
where I mainly teach teachers about teaching. And in my spare time, I research in gender and feminism in the social studies. We just had one of your colleagues on from the University of Cincinnati, Sarah Stitzline, in episode 140. So we're, we're really going all out on Cincy right now. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of good stuff happening up here at the Natty, apparently. So can you tell us a little bit more about your teaching background and, and kind of how you have approached education? And Yeah, so I started my grad school career actually in history, so not in teaching at all, which is always, I think, a little bit shocking to people because normally when you're, you know, get a PhD in something that's usually kind of always been your life. And that definitely was not the case for me. I started out um, thinking that I would be a historian. And so I quickly kind of changed my mind after I got my master's and thought, well, what am I going to do? And so I kind of ventured into education thinking, maybe that's an avenue I want to go. And I absolutely fell in love with everything about education from teaching to policy to really thinking deeply about these sort of larger curricular questions. And so I taught um, high school, I taught ninth grade in Kentucky, and then ended up going back for my doctorate in education at UK. And, you know, kind of from there, have just really sort of continued to focus on these sort of larger ideas about what's in our curriculum, and why it's the way that it is. We definitely are glad to have you here to talk a little bit more about feminism and update our very limited discussion at the beginning of the podcast. But first, we want to congratulate you on a recent publication you had in Theory and Research in Social Education. The publication was titled Unrestricting Feminism, High School Students' Definitions of Gender and Feminism in the Context of the Historic Struggle for Women's Rights. So congratulations on your pub. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about this study? Yeah, absolutely. So this study was part of kind of much bigger study where I was studying lots of things about kind of how high school students were thinking about history. But the main part of this study was I had students engage in a historical thinking activity. So they were actually analyzing photographs from the second wave feminist movement in the 1960s and 70s. And trying to make sense of the photographs and sort of what they were doing, the historical actors in the photographs were doing. And the idea was that they would engage in this topic and women's history and feminism and sort of then kind of what would happen if they did that. We know that that's not a piece that is focused on a lot in social studies classrooms. And so I really wanted to figure out what the students themselves were thinking as they were approaching this content. And the biggest sort of takeaway that I sort of came away from with the study was that they were really able to do a lot more than what I thought that they would do in the beginning. So they had a lot of really personal connections to the content. And they also were really able to discuss ideas about systematic issues of power, such as the patriarchy, as you all were mentioning earlier. Do you mind, and I, I know you're, you're looking at the second wave of feminism, do you mind talking a little bit more about the waves of feminism, just so we can kind of uh, put this in context? Yeah, absolutely. So most historians think about feminism in at least three different waves. Some people now say we're in a fourth wave. It's sort of dependent, differing 
viewpoints on that. But the first wave of feminism, most historians credit um, with anything related to the suffrage movement. So sort of from 1860s forward through the 1920s, um, most historians sort of talk about that as the first wave of feminism up and through that, the final gain of the women's right to vote with the 19th Amendment. The second wave of, of feminism um, is sort of more, I think, in line with what people think of when they think about feminists. So they think of women out protesting. We get a lot of the stereotypes there about bra burning happening in the 1960s and 1970s. Of course, that wave of feminism is coming out of those larger, broader movements, such as the civil rights movement. You also have other movements happening, such as the gay rights movement happening at the same time. So there's definitely like lots of conversations that are happening on the larger political scene at that time with concern to just individuals' rights. And so then in the third wave of feminism, you sort of see this like spark again happening in the 90s. And some people say into today, some people say it hasn't changed, some people say we are in another wave. But again, just kind of coming back to this idea of women's rights, particularly in the 90s, more focused around some policy changes regarding women's rights and the workforce, parental and family leave, things like that that are starting to sort of come up in that in the third wave of feminism. In the images that you uh, that you have the students look at, do you mind describing some of those and what the, were the type of the conversations that they were having? Yeah, so there were six different photographs that they were examining, and they were sort of across the spectrum. So I really wanted students to be examining women doing lots of different actions, so and men as well in these photographs. So there was photographs that were sort of more stereotypical and then others that were there was one even that's artistic so there was one photograph of two men who were two white men who were walking down the street carrying a banner that said abortion a woman's choice so clearly a pro-choice protest happening but the men are the ones who were actually focused on within that photograph the second photograph was a group of both women and men who were standing outside of the white house who were protesting against the Equal Rights Amendment. So again, trying to show students that I think sometimes we think that women were all supportive of all of these things. And so sort of to show that that wasn't necessarily the case all the time. The third photograph was a photograph of a self-portrait of a feminist photographer named Cindy Sherman. She took a self-portrait of herself standing, taking a book down off of a top shelf. That's really sort of all it is. And so it left a lot of room for interpretation from the students. The fourth photograph was a photograph of young girls, actually, who were sitting outside of a billboard for Hoboken Little League in New Jersey. <laughs> the photograph was taken. The National Organization of Women had actually won a lawsuit against um, Little League Baseball, allowing girls to be able to try out for Little League. And so that was sort of the photo op that was taken with that photograph. The fifth photograph was a middle-aged woman who was basically just holding up a picket sign against classified ads in the newspapers. So the first 
you know, the side, the side that was advertising for women um, were jobs like waitress, sales clerk, and typist, where the jobs for men were lawyer, executive, engineer. And so she was protesting against that. And then the last photograph is probably the one that stirred up the most, I would say, conversation. And that was a photograph of a white woman holding up a bra in her left hand over top of a trash can um, at the Miss America pageant in 1968. So there was a lot of protests that happened, particularly at that pageant. That's actually something that typically comes up in high school textbooks. And so, but the photograph itself, because of the woman dropping her bra into the trash, the kind of implications about bra burning and feminism, um, that stirred up a lot of conversation for students as well. So um, I'm interested in the conversations that happened. And I'm also kind of just curious, like how bra burning became such a controversial topic. I'm like, if, if women wanted to burn their bras, like I kind of am like, what's the, what's the fuss about? Was it that they were, it was seen as a rejection of their, their gender role, traditional gender roles and, and kind of the, the kind of, you know, more domestic, less public stance they're supposed to take around those types of issues. Yeah. So I think what's interesting, Dan, is that the students sort of, talked about a lot of those issues. So, you know, the bra burning in context is really, A, it wasn't actually something that historically happened that prevalently, but other otherwise, it's just basically a sort of, it's anti both femininity and then sexuality as well. So, and the students really sort of picked up on that as they were having these conversations. So, they thought that the lack of bra for that particular woman meant that she, you know, didn't want to do, quote, womanly things like wear a bra or that she was taking it off because a bra didn't define her or because, you know, she thought that it was symbolizing the freedom for women about not being restricted in these sort of beauty standards that the Miss America pageant sort of portrayed. But then there was also sort of other conversations about what that then meant for that particular woman with regards to her femininity and sexuality. They thought that she also had short hair. So they thought that some people might not see her as a woman anymore. She was not wearing a bra, didn't have long hair, didn't sort of portray this kind of feminine perception. Other people, other students thought that she might be seen as not desirable by men and Another group of students thought and and talked specifically about how they thought that she was probably seen as a lesbian in this context. So again, sort of going against those heteronormative ideas about sexuality and about what a woman is supposed to look like. Yes, there's a lot of gender binary roles that are being applied that your students probably had to talk through, right? That gender is not a binary, it's a spectrum. And reducing it to such is really to, you know, place people, you know, women particularly, but also men in in very defined concrete roles. And a lot of the gay rights movement, LGBTQ scholars have done a lot to push back on on those roles too. How did students handle talking about these things? And I'm also curious how you organized the discussion. How did how did you ask them to talk about these the these different topics? Because I think one challenge for social studies educators is to get them to really dig into the sources and have deep conversations and kind of at least suspend their the judgments they walk into the classroom with. Because I know that can 
sometimes take over their, you know, their perceptions and kind of not allow them to really dig and learn and grow? Well, so I think two things. So I think, first of all, they actually, I would, I would say that they weren't able to sort of leave everything at the door that they would have sort of needed to learn and grow. And to me, that was also sort of one of the largest findings of my study was that the students sort of, they come in with their own memories and emotions and knowledge. They come in with their own gender stories, their own experiences with gender and sexuality and their own ideas about a lot of these issues. So they come in with ideas of what women are supposed to look like, what women are supposed to do. They come with ideas of, you know, what a feminist looks like and what a feminist does. And so they've also had all of these experiences growing up that have influenced how they're thinking about these things. And it's really difficult to, I think, untangle those from the content. I think as teachers, it's, it's less about sort of how do you get them to leave it at the door and more how do you help them unpack all of that stuff that they're bringing in with them into these conversations. I think that I actually didn't ask them directly about gender or feminism other than their definition of a feminist and, and if they would change that sort of later on in the study. So during their conversations around the photographs themselves, I actually just asked them what I would consider to be historical thinking questions about the actors and the photographs. So I was particularly focused on the agency of the people in the photographs. So thinking about the choices that they make, the context that those choices were being made in, what the consequences of those choices might have been, as well as you know, the limitations to making those choices that these historical actors would have faced. And so those were the types of questions that I was asking them during the exercises. Who's in the photograph? What do you think that they're doing? What do you think the effects of those of this person's actions were? Do you think they faced challenges or limitations to these actions? And so all the conversations that they were having around these issues of femininity and patriarchy and power and sexuality, those were all conversations that they were just having by investigating these historical photographs within this time frame. That's a great point. I mean, so many students do bring deep knowledge of these topics to to our classrooms too, right? I was kind of thinking initially about how they brought their stereotypes in, right? But of mm-hmm. course, other students bring pow- bring powerful understandings of of these issues, both in their personal lives and and around these larger concepts that they may have already started to learn about it at younger ages. So um, that sounds like a really um, great way to approach it to allow them to dig into the historical side of it and and work towards, you know, unpacking the things they already have in relation to those sources. That's really neat. And did their definitions of, of feminism and, and gender change at the end of the discussion or at the end of the lesson? You know, they did. So what was sort of interesting was that it didn't change for all of them. A lot of them started out the conversations, you know, or their definitions were that, you know, a feminist was people who wanted equality for women. And so for most of those students, they weren't necessarily changing their definitions at the end of the exercise. I think for the ones that did actually go in and sort of change it, you know, one student thought that 
originally that she'd she'd said that it was when you were against women that that's what she thought a feminist was and she you know wanted to change it at the end and she said that part of the reason that she'd said that is because she thought that when she thinks of a feminist that it has this negative word this negative connotation that it's a bad thing and so she'd pretty much only heard it in that negative context therefore she just thought that it was against women and definitely, you know, did not think that the same way after the exercise itself. And I think, you know, I think that that's sort of the kind of a few others change them in kind of really just small ways. But I think that what was sort of important in the ways in which they changed it was that you could tell that the exercise influenced it. So one student said that it was about advancement for women in the beginning. And at the end, he said that it was about women standing up for what they, they believe is right. So sort of talking about like, instead of just like general advancement, that there really is this part of feminism that's about action. And that was something that sort of came out in the data in other ways. So that for these students to be a feminist, you couldn't just say that you were like pro women or pro equality, that you really had to be active in what you were doing. I don't know if that was a product of the exercise um, or if that was just sort of what they thought, but it was very clear that they thought that across the board. How did you address either in this lesson or just in your teaching in general intersectionality? I know, you know, I've learned from you and I've learned from other feminist scholars, you know, just the importance of attending to other aspects of our identity, because what for, for much of what's, you know, termed feminist movement, white women didn't always consider how black women or disabled women or Latinx women, Chicano women, like how their journeys were very different and the barriers were very different. Of course, to me, the biggest example is the 19th Amendment. Whenever we say the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote, of course, it did not give black women, indigenous women, uh, the right to vote in the same way. And so how do you address that? Because I think that's like it's it's just two levels, right? It's because it's it's about developing racial consciousness and, and consciousness of, of all these other issues at the same time of understanding the gender component of it too. Yeah, I think that sort of what's interesting is that a lot of, you know, a lot of the work that I've done since this particular study has had a much stronger focus in intersectional feminism in particular. I think that what's sort of interesting is, I I mean, I didn't originally even focus the study to be about feminism or gender. It was just about historical thinking and historical agency and sort of this other part just kept coming out of the data. And so because that wasn't the intention, when I look back on the study now, I think that that's a huge vacancy within the study itself. But I also think that the ways in which, because all of the students that were in my study were white, I do think that their perceptions of femininity and their perceptions of beauty and things like that are also influenced by their whiteness. And so as much as I think that that's a limitation to sort of what was here, I also think that it's a huge room to sort of like go in and and redo the study within other contexts. If what I found here is that these students brought in their own personal experiences with gender um, and femininity and sexuality into this historic exercise that I think that the same would then apply in different contexts. And I think possibly in really different ways, which would be 
a sort of really fascinating and interesting thing to study. Yeah, I've, I've found it one of the most, help, maybe the most helpful lens in my social studies teaching, honestly, like whether it's contemporary issues or historical issues, just asking those intersectional questions, right, about who are, who is this, you know, justice for is such an important question. Who's achieving justice in this space and who isn't? And asking those questions just opens your eyes to how differential impacts and and rights are in the United States and in the past and the present. So um, you have taught me a lot about that since then, and I um, too, so I, I really appreciate it. So what advice do you have for teachers who want to discuss feminism in, in a better way in their classroom? Yeah, so I think for teachers, it's important to remember that a lot of these topics are still seen as taboo. So the students really had a hard time grasping that feminism could be positive and that they could also call themselves feminists. So even in the opportunities that they had to sort of say, yes, these women were feminists and I'm a feminist, they didn't actually go all the way there. Although they saw the content and the exercise in really positive ways, they still really struggled sort of making that last leap. And I think largely because these topics are seen as so taboo, they definitely felt that their teachers were purposefully sort of keeping this type of content away from them. They also thought in particular that that women's history in general was just kept away from them because of the sort of taboo nature of it. And so I think that even if we're as teachers are nervous about taking on these taboo subjects, not taking them on is sending a really powerful message to our students that I don't necessarily think that we want to be sending either. And I think with those taboo subjects that it's really important that they're grounded in things like critical inquiry. So, you know, ideas where students can really investigate the historical nature of these events, how these things connect to the present, and take them sort of out of that sort of necessarily sort of politicized space and place them back in the context in which they really belong. So, you know, there's a lot that's been happening in the last three years just alone between, you know, the women's march on Washington, more women than ever running for public office. We've got the Me Too movement. We have all of these really, you know, larger conversations that are happening around ideas of feminism that are happening on the national level. And for most of our students, they don't know the historic roots of these of these larger conversations. And particularly when we're talking about issues of gender or feminism and really just issues of power and power systems, our students are going to struggle in untangling those things if they don't necessarily understand the historic roots of these to be to begin with. And so I think for any teacher who's sort of wanting to do this work, I think that grounding these topics into content that's already there in your standards, it's already there in your curriculum. It's just about sort of finding ways to really ground it in in open inquiry sort of ways that allow your students to really start having these broader conversations around these topics. That's great. That's great advice. Uh, that's been really helpful for me. And I've mentioned it like five times on this podcast, but that's like whenever we talk about George Washington, like thinking from a feminist or an intersectional feminist perspective, it made me start thinking about the different ways women related at that time and other stories are, 
are often left out. And so that's why I always include Ona Judge now when I teach about George Washington, but also consider also how, you know, uh, Martha Washington was, a, was, you know, so oppressive towards Ona Judge and how those differential experiences while she was oppressed on gender and Ona Judge. So those, those things are, are there, it's such rich content, but it also is rich for understanding how we're wrestling with these issues today too. So thanks for all your work. It's really helpful in, in wading through this. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this has definitely been sort of become my sort of life's work, I think, just in terms of really investigating these topics. You know, I've I've self-identified as a feminist as long as I can possibly remember. And I had a, a family who was really supportive of that. But I know not all students do. And so if school can be a, a space for them and if social studies can be a space where they can really sort of unpack these ideas that they might have inside of themselves, then, you know, then I think that the world in general will be a better place. I think so too. Michael, I think we need to, you, now you can march in the street and yell to your neighbors. First thing. <laughs> get, get out of your Corona uh, induced home stay and to let them. And know. I don't know many of my neighbors. All, so this will be a first impression for many, <laughs> which is totally cool. I'm in. Thank you, Dr. Lauren Colley, for, for joining us today. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? So they can email me directly through my email at the University of Cincinnati, which I think I can leave in the show notes. Yep. And they can also find me on Twitter at LM, And they can also find me on Facebook as well at Lauren Colley. Great. Yeah, we'll get that all in the show notes and we'll get your Twitter there. And we'll, we, of course, link to the article and everything else. So thanks again for joining us. We will definitely continue this discussion online and in other spaces, although maybe not on our Twitter account. If anyone knows Jack Dorsey, help get our Twitter account back up. How do we start a movement for, towards that? Dan screwed up our Twitter account. It's been an ongoing thing. Yeah. All know. right. It's gone. So at the <laughs> Visions of Education podcast, we'll get it back. We promise. We are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun and creating education or you just want to chat, I don't know, tweet us. We're at Visions of Ed when we're there. We also have our own personal, what are they called, Twitter handles, uh, which we'll give you in a moment. We're also on the Facebook. And if you haven't already, and really, why haven't you? What else do you have to do, really? Subscribe to Visions of Education Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and really anywhere you want us to be. We cannot come to your house anymore, though. That's not... no, no. Keep keep our distance. I can't believe we're still on Facebook for all I've said about Zuckerberg, and we're kicked off Twitter. You can write us a five star review, and we will read it on the air. It helps people find this podcast. We'd also like to thank Zach Seitz of Zach Wiley Seitz. High School and, and the University of North Texas for his editing skills. Where you can find us, and we're in, we are now releasing these episodes until we get back up on Twitter, is our personal accounts. Mine is at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off.